We are concluding our Old Testament heroes of the faith. We're up to Nehemiah, our last hero of the faith before Jesus' coming on Christmas Day that we'll celebrate this Thursday morning at faith. And we're going to dive right into Nehemiah. We're going to read, I'm going to read the whole first chapter and then a few verses of the second chapter. Uh, so let's listen, and we're going to be entering into, and I'll be giving some more explanation of it in the message, we're going to be entering into a unique uh, and, and really cool period of salvation history with Nehemiah and his leadership among God's people. So Nehemiah 1, verse 1, this is God's holy and infallible word. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, capital of the Persian Empire, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, and what follows is one of the most powerful and beautiful prayers in all of Scripture, tucked away in Nehemiah, so we might not all be so aware of it. This is what he prayed. O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and let and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, and so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried, so that I can rebuild it. And then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? 
It pleased the king to send me, and so I set a time. That's God's word to his people here at Faith this morning. One of the largest disasters of the 19th century United States happened in 1871. On October 8, about 9 p.m., a Sunday, a fire started near a barn owned by the O'Learys. It quickly spread due to high winds and that year's drought. It burned until Tuesday morning. By the end of it, a few hundred people were killed, 100,000 people were homeless, and over three square miles of Chicago was destroyed, including most of the central business district. Even a basic survey of the damage done by the great Chicago fire couldn't be done for days due to the intense heat that was coming from the smoldering remains. In the end, 73 miles of roads were destroyed, 120 miles of sidewalk, 2,000 lampposts, over 17,000 buildings. There was an understandable time of shock, but resilient Chicagoans began to rebuild very quickly. William D. Kerfoot, who was in the real estate business, exemplifies the spirit which helped Chicago spring back up out of the rubble stronger than ever. Already the very next day after the fire was out, he put up a makeshift office. And out front he had this crude sign and it inspired everyone who saw it. All gone but wife, children, and energy. The Bible talks about a city that Christ came to build. He built it out of the rubble. And this is the work he invites us to be part of in the church. It's a big job, but his Holy Spirit comes and energizes his people. And the work will be accomplished and completed. Our hero of the faith today is Nehemiah. And near the end of the Old Testament, he spearheaded the effort to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. The building project in Nehemiah gives us a picture of the growing kingdom of Christ that he ushered in when he came at Christmas. Nehemiah was a Jew. He was cupbearer to the sixth king of the Medes and Persians, Artaxerxes. A cupbearer was a whole lot more than a servant. A cupbearer would be around the king so much that he'd become a trusted advisor, and he was actually paid a lot for his work. He was quite well-to-do. Years earlier, because of the sin of God's people, God had allowed them, the Israelites, to be carried off into exile. The capital, Jerusalem, was laid to waste. But at this time in history where we are, the Jews had been allowed to return to their devastated homeland and start rebuilding. At some point in the rebuilding, Artaxerxes ordered that rebuilding to stop. That's what's going on in the verses we read. Nehemiah, as a Jew, looking at his homeland, was sad about this. Nehemiah took several months to pray about it before going to the king. And 
one day in the scene we see here, Artaxerxes asked, why are you so sad, Nehemiah? And emboldened by his fervent prayers to the Lord, Nehemiah told him why he was sad. This was very daring because, of course, he was speaking to the guy who had given the order to stop the project. But we read that God touched the king's heart. He allowed Nehemiah to go back to Jerusalem to oversee the building of the city. And this was all a big deal because Jerusalem, in Old Testament times, Jerusalem was God's city. Jerusalem was the city on the hill intended to be a light to the nations around so that all peoples of the earth would be blessed and know the glory and goodness of the only true God, our Lord. It wasn't always going to be this way as we move into the New Testament. Ancient Israel and Jerusalem, it was a foreshadowing of a greater permanent kingdom that would arise and be established when Jesus came as a little baby. And so, in Nehemiah, God gives us a foretaste, a picture of his kingdom, his church today. So as we take a look at the work in Nehemiah's day, it helps us see better the work that we're all called to do, the church everywhere and our church right here at Faith. So we're going we're gonna to look together for just a bit this morning. We're going to see a few things. We first of all see that the city of our God includes what we call covenant renewal. The city of God, and you can kind of say the church, God's kingdom, us, it includes covenant renewal. God's covenant is when he comes in by his grace, he initiates a relationship with his people, and his people in turn are called to be faithful and to be committed to him. There were covenant renewal ceremonies all throughout the Bible. And those were times that the people were really humbled by their sin and they committed to live for God again. In Nehemiah's prayer, he confesses the sins of the people that led to their exile. Later on in the book, all the people are going to be convicted and they're all going to gather, together pray confess their sins, and commit wholeheartedly to live for the Lord. Covenant renewal is the regular rhythm of life for God's people all the time to this day. It's our regular rhythm of life this side of heaven because we break our relationship with our holy God through our sin. The covenant faithfulness that we're called to is loving our God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength above all, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Well, if we're honest, that life of love is terribly lacking in each one of our lives, and so we repent. We ask God to forgive our sins for the sake of Jesus who came and died and rose again to make things right between us and God again, he kept covenant where we failed. And by grace, through faith, God applies Jesus' perfect covenant keeping to us, his people. Instead of living in sin, we want to put that behind us. 
We dedicate our lives to the Lord. We hear God's will for our lives. We commit ourselves to it. This is what God's people do. In fact, every Sunday gathering of God's people, it's a covenant renewal ceremony. We come to our God in our need. He comes to us in his great mercy. We commit to following him. We hear his word. We praise him for his grace. All of those things happened in Nehemiah chapters 8, 9, and 10. All the people did that together. That's what goes on in the glorious city of our God. It's part of our life of faith. When we look at the building project in Nehemiah, we see something else. We see, second, that all citizens are part of the building of this city. Everyone is involved in the project. The way Nehemiah organized things is that different families took different sections of the wall and worked on it. You can read about it in chapter 3. And in God's kingdom, in God's church, that's how it works. It's all hands on deck. Every family taking a portion of the wall, it reminds me of a number of things. One is our budget giving, how each household participates in giving of tithes and offerings as you and I have been blessed. Each takes a part, each household, as you're able. That's how it works in the church. And I think of the baptism today. The Tobins are committing to raising grace in the Lord, but it's more than that, right? It's all of us together. We make that vow to support you guys, to pray for you, to help care for grace's instruction in the faith. And we promise that for all our covenant children. Every household takes responsibility in the church. In the church, nobody sits on the sidelines. In the world, in a business, in professional sports, we watch paid professionals to do the work for us or to play the game while we sit back. There's always a danger to let the world's ways slip into the church. The work on the wall in Nehemiah's day reminds us that in the city of God, it's different. Each one of us uses the time, the resources, the talents we have to find our spot. And we serve, we give, we pray, and we do it with all our might. In Nehemiah, with all hands on deck, that wall was rebuilt in just 52 days. And the reality is God does amazing things when we follow his kingdom principles. Third, we see that the city of God will have its detractors. There will be opposition to the growing and building of the city of God. There will be challenges without, and there will be challenges within. In chapter 4, we read that just as soon as the reconstruction starts, there are attacks. And in Nehemiah's day, there were attacks on the outside from the Canaanites who lived in the land and around Jerusalem. God's people had enemies, and the church has its enemies today. But now, as back then, God 
protects his people. Nehemiah depended on the Lord. Nehemiah and his men defended themselves. They defended the city. God kept the enemies from harming them. Also, within the city, there were some detractors. And that that can happen today, too. Not every household participated in the building of that wall. There were some even in the city who stood on the sidelines. There was a a guy named Mr. Critical, and he watched what Nehemiah and the leaders and the people were busy doing, and Mr. Critical found fault with everything. No doubt he complained that it wasn't completed in 50 days instead of 52. There was also a guy named Mr. Grumpy Pants, And he just kind of sat there and stood there with a sour look on his face all the time, arms crossed, kind of negative about everything, no matter what. Those who are uninvolved in God's city, they miss out on the joy of kingdom service. And they're always miserable. And those who are giving it their all, like the vast majority, have to not let the detractors get them down. God helped Nehemiah and he helped the people to stay focused despite those attacks without and within and God's good work was not stopped. There's another characteristic. A fourth one is that the city of God demands justice for all. This is kind of big in in the book of Nehemiah actually. There were what we could call social justice issues in Nehemiah's day. It's big in chapter 5. There were some problems with the crops. It caused all the farmers to be in real trouble. And in the face of poverty among farmers and others, there was crazy stuff that went on. People were selling their kids into slavery to pay their bills. Others sold off all their possessions in order to pay off their debts. Others yet took out loans on their goods to meet the demand for tribute that was imposed by the king of Persia. And there were these high interest rates imposed and it broke the people's backs. And the deal in Nehemiah's day was that those who were well off, the rich, encouraged all this. They said, yeah, if you're poor, you better do those things to get yourself back on track. Instead of helping brothers and sisters who were poor, they oppressed them. And this distressed Nehemiah. Nehemiah took them back to God's Word, which teaches that in God's kingdom, people look out for one another. You look not just after yourself, your own interests, but you seek the good of your neighbor. And we work in life and we make money not just for ourselves and for our own, but to help those who don't have as much. And, and we do this in the church today. We have a couple of funds dedicated to it, that benevolent fund, that education fund. We care for one another. And boy, we have met numerous needs over the years together. It's been awesome. And you know, that's what happens in the glorious city of God. And God's people even look beyond the city to all of society and seek to be a light and restore justice there too, since all people everywhere are made in the image of our God. 
I think of the work of Crossroad Bible Institute, what it does in our nation. We partner with them. I think of how PADS give us, gives assistance in our community. I think of those gifts that we gave at Angel Tree last Sunday afternoon. I think of Christians going to the voting booth and supporting candidates and policies that are just, that are righteous. This is what the church does, and we've got to keep it up. Something else that goes on in the city of our God, a couple more. This is the fifth one. The leaders will lead the way. That sounds like obviously, right? That's what it means to be a leader. But the leaders will lead the way. Nehemiah had a circle of close leaders. And these guys especially gave themselves to the work, like 110%. The Bible tells us that the leaders slept with their clothes on until the project was finished. It's in chapter 4, verse 23, if you want to check it out. So they woke up and they wouldn't have to lose valuable time by putting clothes on or changing clothes. And and they kept a weapon with them at all times. These guys were always on duty. You know, at Faith, we prefer that our elders and deacons change their clothes each and every day. But I got to tell you that our elders and deacons are no less committed to the work that is to be done in God's church. At Christmas, Jesus came to bring salvation, to usher in the kingdom of God. He died, he rose, he ascended. He sent his spirit to empower that kingdom's increase and expansion. He sends his people out to share the good news and it advances heart by heart by heart. And being a citizen of the kingdom, that's the only way to be saved from eternal destruction and hell. That is the vital work of the church. The church is a vital outpost of Christ's kingdom and we're together on the front Lines of the work of our God. And the elders and deacons are on our front lines. You notice in the bulletin today in the announcements that elder and deacon nominations are coming up. And that means after a while, maybe about a month from now or less, uh, a number of you will be getting letters about having your name up for the congregational vote at our congregational meeting in May. What a privilege that is to be able to work on the front lines of the city of our God. Fourteen elders, fourteen deacons at faith from all walks of life, different backgrounds, different gifts, all of that being used in a very special way to build up God's city right here, right now helping make us stronger, helping make us more faithful to God, keeping us on track with the great commission of Jesus and our mission here to be experiencing God's word, expressing God's love, equipping God's people. I'm so thankful for all those giving it their all at faith. I think of our staff, our elders and deacons, ministry leaders of all kinds, and for each one of you present. Don't make any mistake about it. Every single person is important in God's kingdom and is important in His church and is important in this church. 
You know, what we, what we do together here in the church may not be the most glamorous work by the world standards, but the kingdom of our God is the only thing in this world with eternal and lasting results. You know, maybe consider this morning if perhaps you could step up, step out, get off the sidelines, in the game, building the city of our God with the church together. Finally, we see that the city that Christ builds is built from the rubble. The rubble of that destroyed city became something beautiful. We see it in the manger of Christmas, out of nothing, out of an animal's feeding trough. That's how Christ came into this world. We see it in the 12 disciples. These guys were nothing great, but God chose them. He used them mightily. And God uses you and me in the brokenness brokenness and in the weakness of our lives. It's not about our greatness. It's not about our skill. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to have all these amazing talents. You don't have to be a leader. God loves to work with the rubble and do great things with it, for then He receives the glory He deserves. We're just called to be faithful what we have. And with the time He gives us, no matter how little or great that is, Think of us saying goodbye to Tom, a husband, a father, a grandpa. In our weakness and in our pain and in our sorrow, God can do and he will do mighty and glorious things as as we just follow him. He leads us, he guides us, he builds the kingdom. And the beauty of what God does with brokenness, and I think of precious grace this morning, This child was abandoned, and by God's providence, he led her into Alan Pat's loving home, and now she belongs. She's being raised in the Lord among God's people, beauty from brokenness, and that's what happens. That's how it goes in the glorious city of our God. The rebuilding in Nehemiah's day resulted in something beautiful, but It was temporary. It was temporary just for a short time. Jesus came to build a lasting kingdom and a lasting city. He is the architect of that city, the chief cornerstone, the foundation, and he will see it to completion. That's the project that we have the privilege of participating in together, friends. We're seeing it before our very eyes. It's wonderful. It's precious. It's growing. Sometimes the work is tough. Sometimes we get tired. But Christ's Spirit will give us the energy to continue until the end of time when Jesus returns to make all things new and the city of our God fills the earth with its glory and the glory of our God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we come to you today as your people, having seen a picture of your kingdom 
and the city you're building. Lord, as incredible as the work was in Nehemiah's day, we know that wasn't the lasting city. That wasn't the lasting kingdom. But Lord, we know that Jesus came to bring that everlasting kingdom. That we are citizens of that kingdom. That we have a mission that you call us to. Bless us as we're a part of that mission here at our church at Faith. Bless every part. Bless every member. Bless our leadership. May you receive the glory. May your kingdom advance heart by heart, life by broken life, starting, Lord, with each one of us in our need. We thank you that you have come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.